If you've been a part of SOMA for a while, then something that you know is that every November or so, I begin asking the Lord for, uh, for a word or for a theme for the next year. And, uh, you know, just something that he is hoping to do in us or through us or even for us uh, in, 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 in the lives of the people who make up SOMA Church. And so, um, last year, of course, we felt like God was saying further and deeper, uh, that God wanted us to go further with him, that he was going to take us deeper in him. And we could go till midnight hearing all the testimonies of how God has taken people further and deeper in 2016. Amen. My prayer for 2017 was, Lord, what's next? You've taken so many of the people at Soma Church further and deeper. What is next? And I believe that I heard the Lord say, I want you to call them out. That's what I heard the Lord say. And the Lord began to impress on my, on my heart that there really is no end to further deeper. Like, okay, 2016 is over, so God's not going to be taking us further and deeper anymore. You know, There's really no end to further and deeper because he's always taking his people further and deeper. But there has to be reciprocation. There has to be a response to the things that he's doing and working in our lives. God, if, if, if God is taking me further and deeper in him, with him, then what's next? Why did God graciously take me further in my faith? Was it so that I would just be and do all the things I did back there? Do you guys believe that? No way. I mean, if I'm going to go take a trip to the mountains of Montana, am I just going to sit in a cabin and watch TV? Am I just going to play video games? Am I going to poke around on Facebook or whatever it is, do crossword puzzles the whole time up in the, I'm up in the glorious mountains? Is that what I'm going to do? No way. I'm going to go out. <laughs> I'm going to do something. I'm going to go hiking or I'm going to go mountain biking or I'm going to go rock climbing or I'm going to go kayaking in that beautiful mountain lake that I took all the time to, to travel to, right? I'm going to go do something. God didn't take us further and deeper so that we would be and do what we did back there. Amen? He's calling us out. He's doing something new. He's doing something exciting. I hope that you have that heart and vision for this year, for your lives. He's wanting to do something fresh. He's wanting to do something that is fulfilling In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do great things for him. Y'all see that lint? Y'all see that? I can't help it. If God takes you further and deeper, and again, I believe he has taken many people further and deeper in the year 2016. It's doing it because he is leading you to the great things that he has prepared for you in advance to be and to do. I believe that the, that the word of the Lord for 2017, and some of you have been waiting for it, I want you to write it down. It's real simple. Called out. Called out. That is the word that I believe God is speaking over Soma Church for 2017, called out. That's also the the title of the sermon. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down, called out. 
You guys know that I like to give a sermon in a sentence, one sentence that kind of sums up the whole sermon. Let me go ahead and give that to you before we jump right in. The voice of the church will only be as loud as the voice of its members. The voice of the church will only be as loud as the voice of its members. God is calling us out. I've already said that, but I want to be really clear about what he's calling us out to. Okay, he is calling he is calling out his church. He's calling out the members of his church. And he's calling out the sin in his church. And I want to talk about those three things. So turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. This is going to set the pace for the whole year. He's calling out his church. He's calling out the members of his church. And he is, will, is going to call out the sin in his church. So Matthew 16, most of us have, have heard or even quoted Jesus, something from this chapter that Jesus has said, and where he said, I will, um, I will build my church, and what? That's right, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I personally love this verse because it communicates two things to me. One, it's not my responsibility to build the church. As a pastor, as the one standing up here, it's not my responsibility to build the church. And since it's not my responsibility to build the church, I don't have to fear anyone but the Lord. Fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and it'll get you through, right? The other thing that I love about this verse is it tells me that the church, and I want you to hear me, is a force to be reckoned with. It is. Jesus is building a church that will prevail over darkness. In fact, I want you to look at where Jesus was when he made this statement. The gates of hell will not prevail. I want you to look. If you look at Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, I'm just going to pause and tell you that Jesus was leading his disciples out from the region of Galilee to Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And he was leading them away from a God-fearing Jewish populated area to this place where not only was it non-Jewish, it was very much pagan. Okay, It was a terrible place. They had entered into the land of um, rival deities, Okay, uh, a very anti, I, I coined a phrase today, I'm going to tell you, a very anti-Adonai area. Okay, Adonai being the God of the Jews. This was a very anti-Adonai. They were, they were four gods, little g gods, but they were very anti-Adonai, the God of the Jews. There was a temple where people worshipped the Syrian God. Baal, and they actually had multiple ones of those. Those were everywhere. They had a temple that was uh, dedicated to the worship, the service of what they would call the Godhead, Caesar. <laughs> and then there was a temple that was um, uh, where people would worship Pan. Pan was considered the God of nature. And right next to Pan's temple, there was this huge crevice or this huge crack in the ground. And people believed that that was where uh, evil spirits or, or um, the spirit of the dead would go in and out of to, uh, to and from hell. Okay, can you guess what they would call, what they called that place? <laughs> they called it the gates of hell, right? That little spot right there outside of Pan's temple. Mo- I'm telling you, most God-fearing 
Jewish people would not have even set foot in that city. But Jesus takes his disciples there and it's because it was time for them to go to another level. They had been with him for a while. Jesus had taken them further, deeper. They had seen all kinds of amazing stuff. But now he was calling them out. Okay, it's one thing to shine bright in an area where people love Adonai. It's a completely different thing to shine bright in a place of total darkness. Isn't that true? Some of you are like, I know that because of where I work. <laughs> so first thing, write this down, the church. I want you to write this down. Number one, the church. I want to talk about the church. God has always intended and even empowered his church to shine in the darkness, right? To be a beacon of hope to all the other nations. But I really sense that we are entering into a dark season in history where God is planning to turn up the volume of the voice of his church. Can I just say it that way? God is going to turn up the volume of the voice of his church. But we've got to become a church with a voice. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church uh, global, the church universal, the church worldwide. Okay, uh, The word for church that's used in the New Testament in Greek is ekklesia. That's, that's the word that they use for church. And what it literally means is the called out ones. So when we say church, are you going to church? What you're saying is I am going to go participate in an awesome meeting full of called out ones. A people that God has called out of a world of wickedness. He's transformed them and he's given them the power that they need and he's given them the voice and then he uses them to transform the very world that they came out of. You guys see that? We talk about that all the time. We know that God brought Moses out of Egypt, spent 40 years transforming him and then took him back into Egypt to call his people, Israel, out. And then Israel did come out. They were transformed. And then God used them to transform the wicked nations around them. It's a wonderful pattern. And now because of what Christ has done in our own lives, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that that we are a chosen race. That we are a holy nation. That we are a royal priesthood. A people for God's own possession. But look what it says. The reason we are that, that he made us that, is so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Translation, God called us out of darkness into his light, his church, and he's transformed us so that we, his church, might proclaim how excellent he is to a world that's still in that darkness that we came out of. Okay, now if you are that church, I want you to say, I show am. am. Say it again, I show am. am. Okay, now listen, if you show am, then you must know that God called you. Let's make it personal real quick. God called you out of darkness and into his light. And he transformed you so that you might be able to proclaim his excellencies to those who are still locked up, bound up, in darkness because you are a member of his church that's the second thing I want to talk about God God is calling out the members of his church he's calling the members of his church out Romans 8 29 says that God is transforming you into the image of his son Jesus Christ Ephesians 2 10 again you 
were created in Christ Jesus to do great things. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, one of my favorite chapters of Scripture, so much good stuff that applies to me as it relates to my relationship as a member to the church, to the body of Christ. It says that the Holy Spirit placed you. It actually says it baptized you or immersed you into his church, into the body of Christ. In fact, it goes on to say that you are (laughs) the body of Christ. Miguel, raise your hand. Did you know you're the body of Christ? Brent, what about you? you? If you are a member of the body of Christ, Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ. That every born again believer is a member of the body. We think of member as in, I, got, I turned in my membership and paid my dues. But what Christ is talking about, it goes on to say, and, and there is, is that we are, we are functioning members. This finger is a member an extension of this body, a part of this body. And without my finger, my, how am I even going to, you know, how am I going to do it? How am I going to get it done? Right? You are a member. You are the body and you are a member of the body. Uh, member of the body. And it says that the Spirit of God has given gifts, abilities to each member for the common good. That's what it says. I love the way Paul says it in Ephesians 4. And we're going to be going, we're going to actually start Ephesians next week. I think Ken uh, said we're going to start it this week, but we're starting it next week. And we will. Here's a little snippet. (laughs) Ephesians 4.16 says that the body of Christ is fitted together and held together by every supporting ligament. And as each individual part does its work, the body grows and builds itself up in love. That's cool. It's more than poetic imagery. It's a reality. Can I get an amen? So all these verses that I just talked about, what do all these verses tell us? Well, it tells us that the voice of the church will only be as loud as the voice of its members. The voice of the church will only be as loud as the voice of its members. And by voice, I mean our effectively, our effectivity in proclaiming his excellencies. That's what I'm talking about. If God is trying to accomplish something on the earth through his church, and his church is made up of many members who have been given gifts, they've been given a vital role to fulfill, and they've been given the power to do it, then you can bet that God is not okay with any member sitting idly by in their nice, comfy, cozy cabin on the mountain. No. He wants to remind us of the kayaks and the mountain bikes and the skis and the hiking boots or whatever it is, that God-given thing that he's given us. And he's saying, go do something. Get out and go do something. The Caesarea Philippi conversation, Jesus wasn't just calling out the effectivity of his church. He was calling out the effectivity of every member of his church. And I want to show you what I mean. Let's look back at it again. Starting in verse 13. We'll read that first line again. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. Okay, so he's walking into the city and pretty quickly probably passes the, the little crack, the little crevice in the earth right there by the temple of Pan. And all of a sudden he asks them a question. And he says, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who do the people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. And other people say that you are Elijah. 
But then still others say, maybe you are Jeremiah, the prophet. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? This is a powerful statement. He's talking about what do the people say, but then he says, let's let's forget that. Who do you say that I am? And look at what Peter says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, so to call Jesus John the Baptist, or to call him Elijah, or to call him uh, Jeremiah, those were great opinions of who Jesus was. I mean, that's good stuff. That's a good roster, right? Like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, right? That's, that's, a, that's a great opinion of Jesus, but Peter knew that he was more than John the Baptist, that he was more than Elijah, that he was more than Jeremiah. Yeah, those guys were great and those guys did good things. I mean, Jeremiah was a great prophet. John the Baptist preached repentance for the whole nation of Israel. Isaiah was a, was a prophet, but he was also a, a major miracle worker. But Peter knew that he was more than that. Jesus was obviously all those things, but he knew that he was more than that. You are the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal. Everybody say reveal. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How many of you know that there's a difference between information and revelation? I mean, come on. There's a difference between information and revelation. Information leads you to believe that Jesus is a lot like some of the other great guys from the past. But revelation leads you to believe that Jesus is the one who owns and who ordains the future. And if you look, that's what Peter, uh, that's what Jesus speaks of in Peter's life, Peter's future. He said, I also say, Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. It makes makes the whole statement sound a little different when you know where they most likely were standing, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus was so good at at using stuff around him to teach a point. I also say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And most have heard this, but some of you may not have, so I'll just tell you. Peter's name in Greek is Petros. It's Petros. It means little rock. So Peter was like a little rock. And when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, that word for rock is also in the same verse, just a few words apart. That word is Petra, and it means massive rock. (laughs) So Jesus, who we, we just said, who was great with words, he was great with imagery, he was saying that you may be, and and I, I really feel like in the moment, this is a word for someone. Something that you, it's in, in, somehow it's what you've been needing to hear. So I'm going to read it just like I wrote it. You may be a little rock, but the revelation you just received is a massive rock. It's what Jesus was speaking to Peter. And I believe it's what someone, uh, Jesus is speaking to someone in this room. You may be a little rock, but the revelation, if you'll receive it, is a massive rock. And it was on that revelation, on that massive rock, that Jesus built his church on. 
And of course, we know Peter's story. We know, we know that he was the first to preach this divine message on the day of Pentecost. We know that 3,000 people came to salvation that day. Most scholars say that was, they, they call that the, the, um, the establishment of the church, the day the church was established. Jesus was calling Peter out. Yes, he was already invited to follow Jesus. We actually talked about that last week and in the first sermon of last year. He was already invited to follow Jesus. But that day, that is the day that Jesus called out the disciple named Peter. Okay, can you follow with me on that? That was the day that he called Peter out. Most of us in this room, it's a a nice sized crowd. God bless you, I'm glad you're here. Most of the people in this crowd have accepted, if you will, the invitation to follow Jesus. You're Christian, you're born again. But it's time for all of us who believe that he is more than, it's time for all of us to believe that he is more than John the Baptist or he's more than Elijah or he's more than Jeremiah. And I believe that 2017 is a year that God will call many of the members of his church out. I want you to hear me. 2017 will be the year that you, uh, you get your voice and you're gonna be ready to proclaim the excellent message that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God in the darkest of places, okay, to join your gifts and your talents with the testimony of Jesus. And like Jesus goes on to tell Peter he would do, he says, you're going to take the keys of the kingdom and you're going to bind and you're going to loose upon this earth. That's an exciting thing to think of for this year, hopefully, that this year will be a, a Great year. I want you to declare out loud. Declare this with me. Lord, give me a greater revelation of who you are. One more time. Lord, give me a greater revelation of who you are. And I want you to declare this out too. Lord, give me a voice to proclaim your excellencies. If you want to write those things down or email me later, I can email them to you. That's something that you could pray in your prayer time every day. Because it can change your life. You know what causes the members of the body of Christ to lose their voice? Sin. Sin. And that's one of the things that I believe God is going to call out in his church. The sin of the church. You can go ahead and write that down. That's number three. That God is calling out the sin in his church because sin will either dull revelation in your life or it will block it completely. You have to know that. Sin in your life will either dull fresh revelation or it will block it completely. Remember what we said, the voice of the church will only be as loud as the voice of its members. But there is no voice without revelation. In fact, without revelation, there is destruction. Many of you are familiar with, with the Proverbs where it says, where there is no vision, the people, we know that so well. A better translation of that word vision is actually revelation. Where there is no revelation. Some translations say divine revelation. Some translations say prophetic voice. Where there is no revelation, the people perish. Some, some versions say they cast off restraint. Some, an old Latin version says that the sheep will scatter where there is no prophetic voice. Sheep will scatter. Because there's nothing holding them in place. I'm telling you. 
Without revelation comes destruction. I was thinking about how easy and how quickly it is to forget the revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives. If we were all, if we just could all take a good old-fashioned honest moment, we'd be like, how easily we can just forget kind of who Jesus is. We start treating him like he's John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, but he's not. He is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. In verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes. That he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. By the way, that tells you how important this Caesarea Philippi visit was. Don't you think about it? It says from that time on, from that moment, right outside of the the temple of Pan, right there by the gates of hell, from that time on, after that conversation, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised. It was from from that time on. That's got to mean something, right? (laughs) Verse 21 says, uh, it goes on to say, Jesus began to show his disciples that they must, uh, no, we're in verse 22. Peter took him aside. So Jesus tells him, I'm going to be dying. I'm going to die. I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer at the hands of all the religious leaders here. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Dude, <laughs> you just declared out loud in the middle of a bunch of devil worshipers that he's the son of the living God. And now you're rebuking him. It's like my poppy used to say, my grandpa, poppy. When something was amiss, when something was a muck, when something was not quite right, he'd go, holy mackerel. You know Jesus turned to him and said, holy mackerel. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's one of our favorite phrases to say to our brothers and sisters in Christ when they do something wrong. Especially to us. Get behind me, Satan. Peter obviously was not Satan, but the spirit behind his attitude, his actions, his words very much were. And, you know, maybe it was the atmosphere itself being anti-Adonai that caused him to do that. I don't know what actually happened there. But what Jesus did is very important. You got to hear this, see this, read it if you're turned there. He called out Peter's sin. Called it out right then and there. He said, you are a stumbling block to me. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You guys hear that? Don't get distracted. This is the big one. This is the one that makes it all work, as you'll see here in just a couple of minutes. He called out Peter's sin. He didn't let that moment go by. He didn't say, oh, Peter will get it later. No, he corrected it right then. He said, you are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have the mind of God in this. You have the mind of men. I believe that God will be calling out our sin in 2017. As much as I hate to say it, I really have a sense that God is going to be calling out the sin 
of his saints in 2017. I believe this is going to be a fork in the road year for some people in this room. Let me say that again. I believe this year will be a fork in the road year for some people in this room. You will either repent and like Philippians 2.5 says, you will have the same mind as Christ or you will rebel and like it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. And now they're doing stuff they never would have thought they would have done. That's what it says. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, many are familiar with this. I love this verse. And this is God speaking. And I, please, please listen. He says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Did you hear that? I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. It's your choice. It's, it's, it's our choice. And then, he, and then he wraps up the verse with this. Oh that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. If you've never read that or you don't have it tattooed somewhere on your body, I'd go save up, get it tattooed on there sometime this year. The choice between life and death is set before you. And he urges, he begs, oh, he pleads that it would be a choice for life. So look at what Jesus follows up this get behind me Satan statement with. Okay, this is how he kind of wraps up this this thing. Okay? Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. That's how he wraps up that. I'm telling you, he is calling out the sin. Of his church, I was talking with someone the other day just about how Christ is coming back. That's one of the that's one of the foundations of our faith, right? That He's coming back for us. We forget sometimes that what He is coming back for is explicitly told to us. He's coming back for a bride that is pure and spotless. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we are literally pure and spotless. The only way we would ever be pure and spotless is because of the work of the cross, because of the blood of Jesus. We have no righteousness of our own. Our righteousness comes from Christ and what he's done. We'll get that straight. But what he is talking about is, will I find a people who are faithful to put faith in my son and his work, to believe him for all things, not just salvation, but for also for sanctification. That's a big churchy word that just means that we're going to start looking more like Jesus, 
less like the world. That's what sanctified means, to be set apart. I don't look like the world anymore. I don't look like that dark world I was rescued out of. He didn't rescue me out of the dark world so that I would continue looking like the dark world. He rescued me and then empowered me to live a life that looks completely different. That's the bride he's coming to look for. But it's a choice and it's a hard choice, especially whenever it's all encroaching, it's all pushing up against us as we live upon this earth. But remember what I said? He told Peter, from this time on, you will be binding and loosing things on this earth. It was a power and authority that he's given us. Are we doing it? If we are, it's an exciting, it will be an exciting day when Jesus comes back for us. Amen? Jesus wants sin and all things anti-Adonai. I coined it. I'm going to use it, baby. He wants sin and all things anti-Adonai. Everything under Satan's rule, everything that Satan has jacked up in our life, he wants that behind us. You guys hear what I'm saying? Something of the past. And for us to follow him into the future that he's, he's hoped. Scripture tells us that he has a hope for our future. That he's dreamt of our future. That he has a plan, specific plans for our future. And if we will release our plans, if we will get all that stuff our, the self and the sin and, and, and all that worldly stuff behind us, we will see clearly the plan that he has before us. Amen.